Welcome to Being Schooled. Being Schooled poses several questions. How can school adapt to serve students in a world that allows access to any knowledge at any time in ways more suited to you and at any pace that you prefer? How can school better prepare us for a future where change is accelerating and ownership for continual learning is more important than ever? Being Schooled is inspired by William and Thomas. In this podcast series, William and Thomas share experiences and insights with contributions from guests and current thinkers on the topic of what it means to learn and be learned in contemporary society. Alrighty. Okay, well, uh, we are pleased to welcome uh, to Being Schooled, uh, Dr. Judine Preddy. Uh, Dr. Preddy is the director of the Work Learn Institute at the University of Waterloo. And in addition to her many accomplishments, Judine is currently leading the development of an online national work integrated learning resource hub and conducting research on how youth contribute towards organizational innovation through work integrated learning experiences. So lots of uh, experience and background and, and interest in the world of work and how that connects to education. So we're really pleased to have you here today, Dr. Preddy. And um, as you know, uh, this podcast is really about the stories of Thomas and William, who are here with, with us today as well. And uh, we've been exploring some ideas and, you know, how do you develop a learning plan for you? How do you, how, how do you put together something that um, allows you to demonstrate uh, skills and knowledge and uh, abilities uh, related to things that are really motivating for you. And uh, we know that uh, your work uh, with, with students at the University of Waterloo uh, is all about trying to provide opportunities for students that allow them to, to build their skills and, and um, expertise and to assess that in different ways. So before I turn it over to Will and Thomas, I was just wondering if perhaps you could talk a little bit about that work and and what you're doing right now in terms of uh, trying to help um, students better understand uh, what it is they they have and what they need and how they can improve in terms of their uh, their learning skills, their their abilities, uh, their aptitudes, those sorts of things. Sure. Hi everyone. Uh, Judine is fine. Dr. Preddy sounds very formal. Um, uh, I um, I'm happy to be here to uh, to share with you in this discussion. I uh, I listened to the uh, preview of of a previous episode and was was really fascinated by um, your stories, both William and and Thomas. And so it's great to be here with you to uh, to talk about these important topics. Um, the work that we've been doing at Waterloo, so many people know that we're quite well known for our co-op program, uh, where students can combine uh, an educational program, a disciplinary of their interest with uh, work experience over the course of their the completion of their degree. And um, I think it's been known to us for, for as long as we've been doing this, that that gives students the opportunity to develop really important skills um, that will help them sort of forge their path forward, whatever that happens to be. And one of the projects that we've been working on recently is related to looking at trends for the future of work, everything from 
um, the expanding gig economy where workers will need to piece together several different types of, of work opportunities in order to, to earn a sustainable income. Um, all the way through to obviously the advances in technology and the impact that those are going to have on the workforce. And so what we're trying to do at Waterloo is to look at the ways that those um, predictions for changes are going to affect the skills and competencies that students are going to need to, to navigate that. And, and a lot of the work that's happening within, um, you know, the Waterloo Region District School Board is, is really well aligned with the competencies that we've been talking about with our students. And, and we've, been de we've developed a, a future-ready talent framework, which is a way of collecting those, those key competencies together for students to understand how they can piece together both their academic courses and programming along with work experiences to um, to prepare themselves for that future. Thanks for that, Judy. Uh, that's uh, that's a great overview of the work you're involved with. I'm just uh, wondering, and I'm you know I'll be looking to Will and Thomas in a moment, but uh, both we've been having this discussion about um, school perhaps not working in the way that we'd ideally like it to see work. Um, in this in the case of Thomas and William, we may have read about some of their stories. Um, and, and so perhaps, um, maybe we'll start with you, William, if, if you just talk a little bit about the kinds of things that you were trying to do and the kinds of skills and abilities you were developing, and yet maybe talk about your experience about how that wasn't perhaps recognized or fit within the educational system, at least from your perspective. And then, you know, uh, Thomas, jump in wherever you think is appropriate, but maybe, Will, you could start us off. The first textbook I ever really started to read was a university-level textbook. At uh, It was actually produced by um, Professor Michael Timmons at Cornell, and uh, he had a, a bunch of co-authors on it, and um, that was the first, for, it was where I started, and I was like, this textbook looks like it has a lot of information. I'll dive into it, and it had a lot of engineering, a lot of math, a lot of physics, but then again, it was also just graspable you know like it wasn't anything too far out and complex because i really had no background in um in engineering or physics at all like uh i always and when he says that he means like no background like zero background like, i mean yeah thomas that's probably <laughs> the definition of no background <laughs> yeah no i no, i just, just emphasize yeah <laughs> i was I, I was pretty good at math on the applied level but other than that i didn't really have any background so um, I was like, well, this is awesome. I have pretty much a textbook of all the relevant math I need, and I'm not going to learn any more math than that other than your basic math. Like, what was the point of learning trigonometry? There's no, even the real world examples made no sense. Like, as you're walking along and you see a farm and you have to measure the height of the farm using triangles. I was like, what? No. Yeah, but William, <laughs> what if you're going to, what if you're going to jump off a building in a straight line directly to the ground yeah and it's 10 meters yeah, away and you have you have to be able to calculate that in your how are you gonna find out <laughs> anyway that's beside the point but um so what it was is i kind of just like in the age of information we have it's so easy to get access to um kind of literature and stuff like that so i started struggling with that but as i went it kind of developed further now i had the privilege of already being um, pretty experienced with tools and construction. I helped my father. My father owned a, 
well, still owns a lot of rental properties. And from a young age, I was always helping, you know, fix plumbing, you know, roofing, all this. So I was pretty handy with uh, tools. And as I progressed, I found that that was a greater and greater element of it. And it was almost a dichotomy. You had to know the academics of this type of agricultural system. But you also, if unless you're going to hire a general contractor, which I wasn't, you had to be able to construct it, which was a whole other like nature of competency. Like you could have pretty much not many academic skills at all, but you could be a brilliant plumber or builder at, at, at that point for what you're doing. Right. Um, the academics is pretty much figuring out how to plummet and why to plummet. But um, but going on and then it evolved again. Right. Because as you develop a system and as you have constructed it, then you need to kind of develop management skills. And I would say people management skills, whether even if you're just managing yourself. Right. Because a lot of people kind of don't realize that, you know, when you talk to yourself, it's as if you're talking to another person. Like, like you need to kind of convince yourself to do things. You need to get yourself organized. You need to create a schedule for yourself as if you would do that for a separate employee, you know? And um, so I kind of had to do that and I had to start logging data and I had to start, um, you know, I had to learn a bunch of things. Like, you know, I hooked up, I wanted to automate my farm so I could pretty much control it all from an iPad. I haven't done that yet, but um. <laughs> even diving into it, um, well, even diving into it, you realize the complexity, right? You need to set up Wi-Fi and how to set up Wi-Fi systems. And especially when you're doing it all yourself and you don't have the money to just, you know, hire it out. Um, it was quite the experience. And then, you know, it came into, into business, right? And business is its whole own field. And, you know, like marketing, website, like this morning um, when I first got up, I was, you know, um, doing a Shopify course because we're working on our website so um it's been pretty crazy about the how like one interest can branch off and develop into the requirement of so many different skills just in order to make mm -hmm. what you're doing feasible right like if we're gonna grow yeah. fish we have to sell fish and if we're gonna sell fish we need to have customers <laughs> and if we need to have customers we need to know how to advertise and market like it just it goes on yeah. and on right um well, it's yeah. Also, like I think the big thing is like if you're gonna be working for yourself, yeah, right, you have to be able to do everything unless you're coming in with huge amounts of funding, right? Mm -hmm. And so that kind of was was one of the big things that I think definitely in your case, well, just from being around and you know going through yeah. it with you, was was a big reasoning of like, oh well, you know, like we could just pay a marketing company to market for us. Yeah, we're broke though. <laughs> So we're going to have to figure out how to do this ourselves, right? Like, you know, like. Well, and we had marketing um, companies offer to buy a, a buy a portions of our business too, right? Yeah. And that was a yeah. whole long discussion. That was a whole long thing we had. Yeah. 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 But we ended up deciding. But a lot of experience too. Like, you know, like even totally. nev I've never before I've been brought an offer to buy out part of my business, right? So just to discuss right. that online, to talk about it, to then to deliberate and, you know, like um, a yeah. ton of, ton of stuff to learn. Like just like well, I mean like yeah you know like yeah like the amount of conversations mm -hmm. we probably had over like a two month period, oh my gosh just like uh, you think we should go with this no. I have a I have a like, it was like, I have a bunch of whiteboards in my basement you can see the pegboard but <laughs> I have about maybe three or four whiteboards down here where we're you know, big our, our big pros and cons list <laughs> <laughs> pros and cons list whiteboards are the best <laughs> yeah, you know you've totally. done all this stuff. And Judine is involved in supporting students and doing similar kind of work. And she's actually looking at ways of, well, yeah. of assessing yep. that and helping employers assess that. 
And I guess our question partly, or my question is, because we've talked about this so much is, <laughs> yeah. you know, is, is how could our <laughs> school system, I'm talking about the public school system, uh, better help you in terms of helping you assess some of those things. And I'm even thinking for uh-huh. Judine, would that be advantageous to, to your children, to your child that's gone through yeah. the school system and your child that's currently in the school system and, and sort of what, you know, what are the thoughts about that? Because I think both mm-hmm. Will and Thomas have talked a lot about they're doing all these things and yet they're not really valued. And Judine, you're valuing them. So how do we bring, bring these together? So, uh, well, that's actually interesting, Mark. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd build on top of that. I, I, I was kind of going to transition into a, into a question yeah. for Judine, obviously, um, like co-op is kind of you know not necessarily like popular but it's it's grown as as an idea uh especially in education over the past whatever like decade or two right and all of a sudden it was like boom you know like you know like co-op and especially at university of waterloo right they have what like the number one co-op program in the country or something the largest mm-hmm. in the world yep <laughs> that's even better than the boom, country Thomas. even better Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> right and you know and like yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so too small. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's exactly it. And and um, there's some interesting um, stats. So so one of the things that I think it's on the UW site is um, students are asked whether they students who accept their offers to Waterloo are asked whether they would have accepted the offer if it wasn't for co-op in their program. And 70, 70, 70 percent say no. So that that is a pretty. Wow. Um, powerful statement about the uh, the importance of the co-op program to the university. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do mm-hmm. think um, so much of what you were saying, um, William, ca- resonates for me in terms of um, students' passions and, and sort of following that path down the road. Um, many of our students do um, participate in mm-hmm. entrepreneurial activities as part of co-op. Yeah. Some of them um, work for startups and it's interesting you talking mm-hmm. about, um, you know, as a manager needing to set your schedule for what you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish. I've heard stories of, um, of entrepreneurs saying that hiring their first co-op student who was their first employee was sort of the turning point for their company because they needed to do that. They needed to every day say, yeah, here are the things that you. I want someone else to accomplish today, and that forced them to be more organized and and thoughtful, um, in exactly the ways yeah. that you're describing. Okay, we've solved this problem. Oh, now we need to think about this next problem that we're going to solve. Um, so I think, I mean, it, it, certainly what you're saying is 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 so true in the students that I see, and and particularly the ones. Um, who may be less motivated in the academic setting, the balance of this alternating between four months of work and four months of school really seems to, to sustain them from the perspective of, you know, I'll go to school, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll learn what I, what I need as a foundation, and then let me go out yeah. there and see how I can apply this. And, and you know, what setting fits me? Is it working in a, in, in a large organization or is it working in a startup where, as you said, mm-hmm. you have to wear all the different hats um, there was one one employer yeah. I remember saying is that you know you're a startup when everybody takes a turn to change the toilet paper like that that that's the job somebody's got to do it and so um, you that's know hilarious. that's that's one of the realities of of different types of work but I really do think that that foundational motivation for learning is is what what we should be as educators trying to help our students find yeah. um, and for, and it's mm-hmm. going to be different for, for different individuals. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Hundred. I, I I I agree majorly with that, mm-hmm. and it's a, one thing I usually always impress on Mark and Thomas is I'm like, yeah, that's all great, but like, how do you motivate someone to do that? And their answer is, well, you know, people who will do it will just be the ones who do it, and those who don't won't. I'm like, yeah, to some degree that's true, but um, I think motivation is a very tricky thing when you're coming from the student's perspective, and you know, like it's not necessarily passion. Uh, too. Like I hear a lot of people talk about follow your passion and you know, like, yeah, I love aquaculture, but there's a lot of times and moments where it's two in the morning, I'm covered in fish feces and I have to fix some broken pump. And I'm like, man, this sucks. Right. And it's not passion um, driving you at that point. I think it's, it kind of goes in more than that. Like to me, I like the meaningfulness. Like to me, um, I really like, like what I do with sustainable agriculture, I think it's going to grow in the future. And I think it's, you know, a lucrative way to help the planet. And I think that's another thing a bunch of people misses, you know, 100% we need to help the planet, but it's hard to convince corporations to do it if it loses the money, right? And I really like the aspect of this and it's it's meaningful to me, that's right? Awesome. So it's kind of better all around. So that's kind of what motivates me through the times that mm-hmm. suck, right? Is not really the, the internal, like, you know, I'm fired up to do something. Uh, it's kind of like the underlying principles of, you know, why are you doing this? You know, a lot of the times I'm doing this to kind of d- establish and set up a system because eventually I want to be able to step away from my fish farm and I want to have it fully automated to where, you know, I can focus on more strategic yeah. things. So um, just in terms of motivating the student, I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that's a, a different shift that needs to take place and it needs more emphasis. Mm-hmm. I agree. We um, Our career center has been doing some really neat work because I agree with you about the passion thing. I think um, I also think that puts too much pressure on people. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what if what if you don't know what your passion is? Do you feel like, oh, everybody else seems to know what the, what their yeah. passion is, and I'm I'm excluded from that? Um, they're doing some really neat work around purpose, and I and I see purpose as, as very much what you were describing. They're they're putting it sort of in in four intersecting circles. If you can picture a Venn diagram, yeah. where it's sort of like, what am I? What are my interests? What are my skills? Um, what can I do to earn money with the practical aspect of, you yep. know, we, we can't all just pursue things because it's something that we like. We have a practical aspect. And then what does the world need? Mm-hmm. So those four pieces yeah. tying together really is exactly what you just said. Um, and I, and I think the other point that you made that is so, so important is it's not all rosy. Yeah. Um, and I think that the idea of personalized learning is is a really important goal for us to be moving towards. But I also think we can't lose sight of the fact that with every job and with everything that you pursue, there's going to be some aspects of it that are that are really motivating and inspiring, mm-hmm. and then there's going to be some aspects that aren't at all. And it's and and both are part mm-hmm. and parcel of the same package. Yeah. And uh, another thing, just to bring it back to what Thomas said, is Thomas said, you know. Um, co-ops become more popular. I actually, at least at high school, like obviously it's different for um, post-secondary, but uh, for for high school, I didn't think co-op was really that popular at all. Like a very small fraction, because I did a ton of co-op. I did maybe what, I think it was a full year of co-op, like two four-credit co-ops in high school, grade 11 and grade 12. And um, almost every single kid in there was applied because the applied kids had, had the time to do a co-op, right? Like Thomas will speak to this is that it was hard to kind of carve out the time to go get that experience. 
and um and hands-on like i remember while i was working for guelph university they had some university level co-op students and i remember we were you know um trying to get some trout out of a tank and this one girl she like freaks out because a trout touches her and i'm like how are you spend this long in marine biology and never touched a fish like what <laughs> like that's kind of very like how do you not have that practical experience already and it's like it's all you know academic kind of in labs and stuff like that mm -hmm. so so yeah i just that's another comment on co-op for me well i mean yeah. yeah if i give my perspective i mean like it wasn't even that i didn't have enough like it wasn't even close to enough time like there was mm -hmm. my entire schedule was full from the second that i started high school like it was just like i know what I need to take, what I need to do. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm looking to biochemistry next year. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm currently in a gap year between high school and university, but like to speak about what you were kind of touching on earlier, Will, about, um, sort of the, yeah. the drive and how that kind of excludes passion in some cases. Um, I think it's also really important for that to be reflected in education systems and in stuff like this where it's like just like you said judine like you know yeah we totally want to make everything student-centered right like student-centered learning and that's the way it should be but at the end of the day you still have to be doing something right student-centered learning doesn't mean a student just gets to kind of you know f off and just do whatever they want right like student-centered learning means that hey a student is already doing this stuff why would you add this stuff that they don't care about or are going to use to their plate for no reason right so like in will's case why can't why can't we give this guy you know credits and and add something to to like a portfolio like thing for what he's doing why are we making him do trigonometry right and 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 hate trigonometry <laughs> and sort of why is it that just for will to get what he wants to get done he has to drop from academic to applied courses just for timing not not because he's really struggling with the content matter not you know like not because of any, any of those reasons just because he's like listen mm -hmm. i want to do what i want to do with my time and this school is restricting me it's completely ridiculous right it's the idea of a learning yeah. center could be could be stopping you from doing the learning that you actually need to do in your life and i think that's kind of what we're trying to focus on and the reason that co-op does such an interesting job with that is that it sort of was proved out that if you take co-op people are more people are going to hire you right like there's a higher success rate in terms of just getting hired within the first few years of coming out of a co-op program versus a regular program, right? So people are like, okay, great, I'll just do co-op then, right? For that sole reason, because they were like, listen, you know, I'm gonna get hired more, right? It's not only people who, who wanna do hands-on stuff for co-op. I bet you a ton of people who do co-op, it's just because they're like, listen, I need the experience just to get the job, right? Like not not no, I, because- I, they, they, not, I agree. Yeah. I just didn't see, like I was in, quite a few co-op classes yeah. and just like I knew a lot of the people in the co-op classes and very few of them like hardly any um people from the academic stream but yet when I would talk to people from the academic stream about my co-op for Guelph University they'd be like what that sounds really cool yeah. I wish I could do yeah. that see right? I would have loved to do a co-op right like you know if if, mm -hmm. if you could have told me hey listen all right you know take your calculus your chem and your bio and your whatever like yeah you you would have been, been like, no. awesome you, 
You'd have been giggling like a schoolgirl once if you saw the Squelf University lab. I awesome. walked in there. I was like, "Oh my god, you have all, like you have electronic microscopes. <laughs> right. You have your DNA sequencing. Like what? This is awesome, right? right? Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I think that's just one of the major issues. Is and that brings me to another thing I was going to ask. Is one thing that always kind of perplexed me is university selection, right? Like if I don't take academic courses, the assumption is immediately drawn that I can't go to university, right? And like, like to me, like, I feel like a lot of times that's true and I totally get why, but like when you even looking through history, like some of the greatest minds didn't, weren't great in academia, right? But um, they, they really knew how to do stuff. So it seems like, you know, like even in a co-op setting, you're like completely segregated from going to university unless you kind of pick that you know, you're completely caught up all your time studying constantly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of like Thomas spoke to, I very much enjoyed the discussion in the academic classes and the problems. Like, I loved solving um, relevant math problems, like like um, exponential functions I thought was so cool, especially when they related it to, you know, bacteria growth or decay or anything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I was like, this equations. is really... Exactly. It was like, this is really awesome because you can see where it where it is applicable in the real world. And that's kind of why I have this vendetta against trigonometry is because for the most people, like unless you're going to become an architect, an architect or yeah. something. Yeah, it's really <laughs> pointless. Um, and like even like um, another thing I didn't realize in academic is in applied, like I took grade uh, 12 college math and a lot of it was we're talking about loans and mortgages and, you know, compound in, uh, just interest rates and uh, and stuff like that. And I was like, this is so awesome. I think I, like I crushed every single test, you know, like 99th percentile because I was like, this is so, so cool. You're going to teach me yeah. how to structure loans mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it's just so blaringly obvious about how useful it could be to beat us. Right. right? And I think um, right. I think there's a little bit of disconnect between, <laughs> you know, straight, straight, no, straight academic skills between like yeah. real world applicability. Right. Yeah. One of the things that um that our career center does with uh, with first year classes is go into the first year class and unpack a particular um, assignment or or assessment. So it might be you know this research report mm -hmm. or something like that, and help the students dissect sort of what are the skills that are required in order to complete this assignment. Because educators don't always profs included, don't always sort of explicitly list. Mm -hmm. By doing this, you're gaining X, Y, and Z, which which both you and Thomas and William, you're both very good at, um, at thinking about how you're learning and developing from the experiences you've had. But, but I do think that it, it is really valuable to do that translation of, you know, how does this particular experience, this particular course, this particular assignment help me develop in the ways that are going to be useful and, and as you said, relevant um, for the things that that I'm interested in pursuing. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that's that's all um, really important. I, I note your comment about the the co-op option in, in high school for uh, applied versus academic stream. Mark and I were part of a conversation yesterday um, you know, trying to sort out what options might exist for creating more flexibility. Mm -hmm. 
um, for students to pursue co-op because yes, of course, universities for the foreseeable future, yeah. marks are going to matter mm-hmm. for, for getting in. But um, there's also a growing recognition of the importance of, 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 of a well-rounded student who has experience outside of the classroom and outside of earning high grades. And, and I think that's particularly important that, uh, for schools that have co-op programs or, or are focusing on helping students make that transition mm-hmm. from, from school to work. Um, and so I, I do see it as as increasingly important, yeah. and it's a matter of helping students shift the mindset which they've been trained to develop. Yeah. That you know, here's here's the requirements of how I'm going to succeed. Thomas, I think I picked this up from the the conversation that you had previously, as far as you know, follow the rules, do do what you need to do, um, play the game, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so how to shift students' mindsets yeah. beyond that to exactly what you're describing as far as the value of learning. I think, yeah. yeah, I think the, the important thing with that is that like you're not going to be able to shift the students' mindsets. What you have to do is figure out what the mindset is and then change what's on the other end to try and, you know, to try and realize, hey, why why are students thinking this way? Like it's, 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 uh, it's, it's going to yeah. be a logical reason on what saves them the most time and energy and everything, right? So. Yeah. Sort of, sort of interesting on that on that side of education. I don't know if you were going to say something about this, Will, but I was going to circle back to something earlier and ask Judy a question, but I can sort of wait on that. I mean, just to add something there, it's like, like you said, it kind of has to start with almost the employers, then the university, then the school, because you set out this structure, this hierarchical structure of of mar- of a marking scheme, right? And if you need that to go to university and you need your university degree to do what you want to do, all that matters to you is that is placing high on that structure because that's pretty much the sole like way, like at least from as far as I know, that universities will initially judge you, right? Like if you're a, like, you know, I don't know what you're like the the height, right? But if you only got like, you know, 75s in, um, in all your academic classes, but you were out, you know, doing some other very innovative thing, I don't know how it would work, but I feel like you'd kind of be discredited immediately because you had such low marks, right, in the academic classes, you know? So I think it's kind of hard. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever, se- you obviously know who Elon Musk is, but oh, yeah, he's kind of, of a, <laughs> a, a video on you. Yeah. <laughs> um, he has a video. He says, I don't give a damn about your degree, right? And he kind of talks. He's like, having a degree is great. We want you to have a degree, but that's not the main way we judge you. I used to work at a, a small little education tech startup. Um, and so we'd always have co-op students, right? It was like, oh, you know, here's the new batch of co-op students and they'd be in or whatever, right? And I remember talking to a few of them and like someone would be like, yeah, you know, like I'm interested in education. Someone would be like, no, no, like I'm in engineering. This is just like a job for the first co-op term. I'm sort of interested in that in terms of like, how much of the experience has to be in your field? And then like more than that, like how does the co-op department kind of as a whole decide, you know, like, yep, any experience is good, but what's the kind of tipping point of what you need versus what you don't need? I don't know, maybe you could speak to that a little more. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So my team has done actually quite a bit of work um, in developing a quality framework for, we call it for work integrated learning, co-op is just a form of that. Um, and, and it's based on research from students. So students per- 
perspectives on what makes a quality experience. And the, the key things seem to be um, that they feel supported, that they feel like the work that they're contributing towards is meaningful, and that they feel like they have the opportunity to develop new skills. That that sort of seems to be the ones that that bubble to the top in terms of um in terms of them valuing for quality. And so that's something that we monitor on every term. So we have um, more than 5,000 responses every term from students rating their work terms. So we have a sort of a rate my work term um, tool so that we can monitor um, quality. And the interesting thing is that um, to your point about um, the relevance to your academic discipline, um, that tends to increase. So when we ask the students, uh, you know, to what degree did the skills you developed align with your academic program, the first work term students are more likely to report that as lower than when you get to the fourth, fifth, sixth work term. Mm -hmm. So that definitely would be consistent with, with what you said about the students that you had seen. The other thing that's um, different about Waterloo for many other schools is that we have a, a common job posting board. So um, that means that, you know, the electrical engineering department isn't going out and finding their own jobs and posting those on a, on a controlled subset of, of job postings. The jobs, with the exception of a few very specialized programs, mm -hmm. the jobs are, are open. Okay. So that's where it's up to the students to assess, you know, are, is this an industry that I'm interested in pursuing? What are the kinds of skills that are being looked for in this, this job and how can I demonstrate those? Um, whether or not they're directly connected with my academic program. And there's a fair amount of flexibility from the program's perspective in terms of what they'll allow. So the students decide which jobs they're applying to. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're making that decision. And with very few exceptions, um, the, the school will typically approve, um, approve the roles yeah. because they are vetting the roles before they even come into yeah. the system. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, unless someone wants to ask, then I got another question. Um, uh, in in some of our other recordings, we've sort of touched on some ideas that relate the fact that you know universities make money, right? Public schools don't, obviously, right? So there's there is a whole other kind of segment of education that you look at. You know, once once something is kind of operating from a money making standpoint, right? I, I, and and I don't know, right? Obviously you work for a university right so like i'm I, i'm not trying to you know you know set fire to the, to, no the, to the university here but it's sort of like almost like there's such a great motivation for the students who attend a school like the university of waterloo to like the school because they're a living kind of like you know whatever advertisement for your school uh -huh. every single person that they talk to about the school gets an opinion right like uh -huh. how they do in their life you know like whether they whether they get a job within the first couple of years whether they you know like whether they graduate on time whether they act, do graduate at all all of that matters to university of waterloo as like a financial institution right whereas like a high school even though it's like yeah you know this is good you know like all of you know our let's say like in the u.s like like our SAT scores are high or here, whatever, you know, like whatever, like the EQAO scores are high in like an elementary school or something. Really, it doesn't matter that much because it's typically it tends to just be zoning unless someone wants to send their kid to a private school. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just whatever's closest to you. So I don't know if you have thoughts about that and how that might kind of affect <laughs> um, education, because 
I don't want to ignore the fact that I think there is a really big shift as soon as that happens. Like education is just so different when you're coming at it from like a completely, you know, public end of it to all of a sudden shifting into like a private, like, you know, like essentially like a privatized service. Right. I know that's a tough question. Sorry. Yeah, I think um, it's a super complicated (laughs) question. Yeah, it is. It's a good, it's a good question. Um, the, I think one of the things that I would start with is it's, it's sort of a, a hybrid. So, so universities in Ontario are, are not-for-profit organizations. So, um, so while they are earning revenue from multiple sources, including student tuition and, and grant dollars from mm-hmm. the government, um, there still is an accountability under uh, to, okay. to not make a profit. So what the rules that are associated yeah. with that. But you're right. It is different in terms of um, competition because because unlike as you said with public schools where whatever zone you're in determines where you go largely um, with universities and colleges it, it's more of an open market in terms of attracting students and so certainly one of the things I hope that means that the, there's there's a higher level of attention to quality um, because because you do need to pay attention to what the outcomes are of your graduates you want your graduates to be happy that they chose the university they did and feel that what they learned and experienced while they were with you has led them um, on to success. So there's no question about that. I also think it um, it encourages universities to think about what their differentiators are and how they're going to describe themselves as being different um, from other universities. So I last year went through the process of, of my oldest choosing mm-hmm. a university, and um, it was really interesting to me to see her um, explore the different options and to figure out what was going to be the right fit in terms of a program she was interested in, in terms of the, yeah. the university that she wanted to belong to. And, and I think the variety in the system is, is, is a benefit to, to all students. I, I don't think there's a university you can, or a college you can go to in, in Ontario that isn't going to give you a, mm. a quality education, but I think that the fit for an individual student is yeah. going to vary from yeah. one place really to the answer. next. Yeah. We're, we're getting into uh, a lot of uh, different topic areas, which we wish we had more time on our podcast for. But uh, unfortunately, we've kind of come to the end of this uh, this segment. So maybe I'll just ask Will to uh, send us off. Uh, maybe uh, thank you, Dean, on our behalf and, uh, and uh, finish us up. Yeah, I mean, um, I very much appreciate talking to you because I love getting these different perspectives and it kind of just really helps bring the way I perceive everything into fruition. And I think that's kind of the same with everyone here and um, just really appreciate it so much. And I'm just glad you took the time to talk. Yeah. To us. Well, thank you very much for the invite. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see the path that you, William and Thomas are also, on. Also thanks to Remy, uh, who is our <laughs> producer. Great. Yeah. He does good work. <laughs> he does do good work yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks to everybody <laughs> so uh with that i think we've uh, come to the end and uh again uh deco uh william uh, judine thanks very much for your time and your energy and your insights and your sense of fun and um we're going to go on to our next episode thanks again mm-hmm.